Hey, if you need new sunglasses, if you would like to get new sunglasses, know that Shady Rays, for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, is offering a fantastic deal. 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses at ShadyRays.com. Go to ShadyRays.com and use this promo code Al Galdi. Shady Rays sunglasses, they are the best. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning that if you lose or break your pair of sunglasses, even on day one, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair of sunglasses. No questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after your purchase. Go to ShadyRays.com and use that code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Yeah, 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you don't love them, you can exchange them for sunglasses that you do love, or you can return your sunglasses for a full refund within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Shady Rays always has your back. Go to ShadyRays.com and use that code Al Galdi for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Away we go. Episode 570 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, May 11th, 2023. It is NFL schedule release day 2023. The NFL will release its full 2023 regular season schedule on Thursday night at 8. Although, A, we already know some of the games off announcements that were made on Wednesday morning. And B, uh, the way that this always works now is that the schedule is leaked throughout the day that is a schedule release day. So by the time that we get to 8 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, we will probably already know a lot of the Commander's 2023 regular season schedule. We do know this, no international games for the team in the 2023 regular season. The international games were announced early Wednesday morning. Our team not among the teams given international games. Uh, That's too bad because if in fact Dan Snyder's primary residence now is England, once he officially sells the commanders of his oh-so-wonderful 24-year run as owner of the franchise. Uh, the team could have played a game in England and, like, had Dan as an honorary captain, but I guess that will not be happening. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Yao Galdi podcast. What is going on with the sale of the commanders? It now has been nearly one month since we had the reports that Dan Snyder had agreed to sell the team to a group led by Josh Harris for $6.05 billion. Since then, not much news, but then came Wednesday. Multiple reports on Wednesday morning on what's happening with the sale. Also on Wednesday was a meeting of the NFL's Finance Committee. The Washington Post on Wednesday evening reported that members of the NFL's Finance Committee at this meeting raised concerns about Josh Harris's tentative deal to buy the commanders from Dan Snyder, slowing momentum for a possible ratification vote of the owners this month. A source told the Washington Post that the NFL's finance committee came out of Wednesday's meeting with less clarity and less certainty about the Josh Harris deal 
to buy the commanders than the committee had before the meeting. Uh Uh-huh. What is going on here? Why is the finalizing of this deal taking so long? Uh, What we want is the sale to be completed. What we want is to be able to say, as our team president, Jason Wright, once said, there it is. There it is. Yeah, exactly. There it is. That's what we want to be able to say. There it is. Well, coming up next segment, I'm going to welcome on one of the people who on Wednesday morning had one of the big reports on what the heck is going on with this sale of the commanders. Sports business insider Daniel Kaplan of The Athletic. Uh, He's going to explain to us the complicated nature of Josh Harris's deal to buy the commanders, including the possibility of Dan Snyder actually loaning money to Josh Harris for him to buy the team from Dan, and the NFL basically bending over backwards to make this sale happen because the NFL is so wanting (laughs) to get rid of Dan. You can't make this stuff up. If you are confused by what's going on with the sale of the commanders, you're not alone. Clarity is forthcoming via a conversation with Daniel Kaplan next segment. Also on the show, I will discuss terrific wins for the Nationals and Orioles. The Nats, an 11-6 win at the San Francisco Giants on Wednesday as starting pitcher Josiah Gray was good yet again, and the Nats hitting was outstanding. Uh, The O's, a 2-1 win over the major league-leading Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Wednesday evening as starting pitcher Dean Kramer was good and reliever Yanir Cano continued his dominance. The Nats have won seven of their last 11 games. The O's have won 20 of their last 28 games. Good stuff. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Joe Rosnowski on the commander's quarterback situation. Writes Joe, hey Al, a lot of the 2024 mock drafts have the Cardinals picking first and selecting Caleb Williams. So where does that leave Kyler Murray? How many teams will be looking for a starting quarterback next year? Maybe the Manders could get him for what Arizona got for Josh Rosen, a second round pick and a fifth round pick. What say you? Thank you for the hours of high level entertainment. Uh, Thank you for that, Joe. Uh, You know, I have liked a good bit about Arizona Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray as a player, but Kyler Murray, the person, is a different conversation. Uh, Last offseason, we had the very strange ordeal between Kyler and the Cardinals. Uh, Emerging early in February 2022 was that Kyler had scrubbed his Instagram account of all but two photos and no longer followed the Cardinals on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, Then ESPN NFL insider Chris Mortensen on February 13th, 2022, Super Bowl Sunday, Uh, put out multiple bombshell tweets regarding Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. Uh, Mortensen tweeted that Kyler was, quote, described as self-centered, immature, and finger pointer, per sources, end quote. Uh, Mortensen tweeted that Kyler was, quote, embarrassed, end quote, by the Cardinals' loss at the Los Angeles Rams in the wildcard round of the playoffs for the 2021 season, And Mortensen tweeted that select Cardinals veterans were hoping to reach Kyler on how he could better handle adversity. Then Kyler Murray's agent, Eric Burkhardt, on February 28, 2022, released a bizarre and obnoxious statement. Uh, The statement was very lengthy. 
Uh, the statement was in all capital letters. The statement included portions that were italicized or in bold letters. The statement boasted of Kyler's accomplishments, and the statement called for the Cardinals to give Kyler a contract extension. Uh, now, he, in July 2022, did get a contract extension, but then we had this past season. Uh, the Cardinals in the 2022 regular season went a putrid 4-13 and Kyler this past December suffered a torn right ACL, and then the Cardinals in January fired head coach Cliff Kingsbury off he and Kyler reportedly having a deteriorating relationship. So there's a lot of stuff with Kyler Murray to be thinking about. If I'm the commanders, I would not be in a rush to trade for Kyler, uh, even if the cost is small. I wouldn't be completely close-minded to trading for Kyler on the cheap, but uh, I would be very leery of getting this guy. Uh, Email from Jerry Hughes on new ownership of the commanders potentially changing the team's name. Writes Jerry, always enjoy my 5 a.m. commute listening to your podcast. Your motto to follow DC sports so that I don't have to is well appreciated. (laughs) Thank you, Jerry. Continues Jerry. Many lifelong Redskins fans felt unheard by the team when that decision was made to change the name. Having the name changed so abruptly was very emotional for those who have followed the team for generations. Like everything else in the Snyder era, this change was handled very poorly. Even the seeking of fans' thoughts on a team name seemed insincere. The names that the fans wanted were dismissed because of trademark concerns, and I don't know about you, but I don't recall commanders being on anyone's list, yet that was the name that this regime came up with. The current team name leaves a bad taste in the mouths of fans because the name reflects the ineptness of the team's ownership. Rebranding the team under new ownership and having smarter people in charge of the process seemingly would have merit. Imagine if fans felt that they were being heard and the result of the process was so much better than there it is. (laughs) I know that you have commented on episodes about this topic and that winning will go a long way with fans toward accepting the name commanders. And maybe you are right. Old time Senators fans have embraced Nationals and Baltimore fans appear to have moved on from Colts to Ravens. But somehow those situations seem different than this one. But maybe we just need more time to let it go. Keep up the good work and still holding my breath that the episode that analyzes the final sale of the Commanders occurs before episode 600. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jerry. Yes, I am hoping for the exact same thing. Well, the name change of the Redskins is a name change unlike that of no other team, pro or college, for several reasons. First of all, what led to the name change was a highly unusual circumstance that especially now when you look back on it, seems even more unusual, okay? A very ugly fracture within team ownership that led to a minority owner of the team putting out a statement, putting pressure on the team to change the name in capitalizing on a highly charged and emotional social slash political movement in the midst of a pandemic of all things. Like, think about all of that. The divide that grew between Dan Snyder and his then-minority owners of the Skins led to one of those minority owners, Fred Smith, the man who founded and was the CEO of FedEx, to have FedEx on Thursday evening, July 2nd, 2020, put out an oh-so-short, but also oh-so-seismic statement that forever changed everything for the team. Quote, we have communicated to the team at Washington our request that they change the team name and quote. And nothing, and I mean nothing, has been the same for the team ever since. 
that statement came out. So with the name change of the skins, you start with all of that, and then you add to that how despised Dan Snyder is as owner of the team, and then you add to that the low energy and lackluster reveal of the name Commanders, and yeah, it's no wonder why people don't like the name Commanders and why many people want a new, new name. Uh, As I've said, I personally do not hate the name Commanders like a lot of people do. My biggest problem with the name Commanders is that it isn't conducive for a short one-syllable nickname like Skins for Redskins or Nats for Nationals. I actually think that a one-syllable nickname is important, as silly as that may sound. Uh, I also very much believe, as Jerry wrote in his email, that the Commanders having sustained on-the-field success would make a lot of people more accepting of the name Commanders. But all of that said, I totally get people not liking commanders. I don't blame anyone for not liking commanders. And to me, what the Josh Harris group should do is really study the issue and see if it would make economic sense to change the name again. Uh, Josh Harris graduated from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and then Harvard Business School. He made his fortune in private equity. He co-founded the firm Apollo Global Management in 1990. Josh Harris knows business. Uh, His top limited partner in the group buying the commanders, Mitchell Rails. He and his brother, Stephen Rails, in the 1980s co-founded Danaher Corporation, uh, which is a Fortune 500 science and technology company. Uh, Harris and Rails are smart enough and experienced in business enough to know how to handle the name issue. And I would think that they either have a plan or will formulate a plan regarding the name, perhaps depending on research and intel. Well, if you are conducting research and you are obtaining intel regarding home or auto insurance, uh, I can't blame you. The home and auto insurance markets are messes right now. Uh, We are routinely seeing 20% increases in home and auto insurance, even when the account is clean, meaning no accidents or violations on the auto insurance and no claims on the property insurance. Uh, You right now have every reason to shop your home and auto insurance. That's why you should go with BMC Insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. You'll be put in touch with the owner and president, Matt Brooks, a loyal listener of this podcast, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, BMC Insurance, it offers home, auto, and also small business insurance in Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and North Carolina. Uh, BMC Insurance is an independent insurance agency, meaning that it has many, as in dozens, of insurance carriers it works with to make sure that clients are always paying competitive rates. Uh, What's especially great about BMC Insurance is that it has relationships with its clients. Uh, BMC Insurance is a trusted advisor for your insurance needs. BMC Insurance continues to work with clients after sales. Uh, It has team members who actually shop clients insurance every year when they renew. And BMC Insurance does this proactively so that you don't have to. BMC Insurance will save you time and money. And perhaps most telling, BMC Insurance's client retention rates historically are much higher than industry averages. When people get BMC Insurance, they stay with BMC Insurance. Don't get gouged on your home and auto insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. Talk to my guy, Matt Brooks, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. And 
BMC Insurance does offer small business insurance. So if you're looking for general liability, workers' comp, or commercial auto insurance, BMC Insurance can help. Visit insurancebmc.com. That's insurancebmc.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Hey, a big help is if you subscribe to rate and review the podcast, uh, you can subscribe to the podcast via most platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, a subscription to the podcast costs you nothing and make sure that you never miss an episode. Uh, you on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated, and you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review can be just a sentence or two. Can be more, but doesn't have to be. And thank you very much for subscribing, rating, and reviewing. So this episode of the Al Galdi Podcast is for Thursday, May 11th, four weeks ago, April 13th. We had the oh-so-wonderful, oh-so-glorious news, the multiple reports that Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder had agreed to sell the team to a group led by Josh Harris for $6.05 billion, although the reports did say that the agreement was not exclusive and was not signed, meaning that another bidder still could buy the Commanders. Well, we since April 13th haven't had a lot on the sale of the team, but we on Wednesday did have the NFL's Finance Committee meeting, and we had multiple reports on the sale of the team. Uh, All of this with the NFL's Spring League meeting looming. Uh, The NFL Spring League meeting is scheduled for May 22nd through the 24th in Minneapolis. Uh, As you may recall, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell on April 27th spoke with ESPN prior to the start of the 2023 NFL draft and said the Roger on the sale of the commanders, quote, I think progress is being made, end quote. And he said that, quote, that progress will hopefully lead to them being comfortable to announce some type of transaction probably by the middle of May or late May, end quote. Uh, Well, we are just about at mid-May. Sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports, he on Wednesday morning had the following in a report, quote, multiple sources told FOS that Harris is expected to take over control of the team in early June. That would mean a vote would have to occur in Minnesota at the main owners meetings that run May 22nd through the 24th. Seems like things are moving forward with Harris, one source with knowledge of negotiations told FOS, end quote. Also on Wednesday morning was a significant report on the sale of the commanders from the man who joins me now, sports business insider Daniel Kaplan of The Athletic. You can follow Daniel on Twitter at Kaplan Sports Biz. Hey, Daniel, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing well. Uh, Before we get into the specifics of what you have reported, just to bottom line this, would you classify the NFL owners voting on the sale of the commanders at the NFL Spring League meeting from May 22nd through the 24th in Minneapolis as more likely or unlikely? Well, let's first back up. The reports that they would vote on, vote on the agreement or vote on something, uh, the vote would be on, if it occurs, on, on a conditional agreement. This would be an agreement that Harris has run by the, the league and the league has approved, uh, but Snyder has not signed off on. Uh, it's a very unusual process. So what are the chances of that happening? It's I, I would say it's 50-50 right now. The league obviously really wants uh, Snyder, Snyder out, 
but there are certain rules regarding debt and limited partnership and betting uh, that have to be met that uh, are, I wouldn't say in question now, but a challenge. Yeah, and that takes us to what you reported on Wednesday morning. The most interesting item in your report on the sale of the commanders to me was the following quote, elements of the deal would break the mold for an NFL franchise sale, underscoring how much the league appears willing to bend its guidelines to move on from the Daniel Snyder era. There is the possibility of an unprecedented conditional approval, allowing more debt than is standard, and the prospective soon-to-be ex-owner extending a loan to the Harris Group to get the deal over the finish line. End quote. There is so much in just that passage, but the notion of Dan Snyder lending money to the Josh Harris Group in order for it to buy the team from Dan. Explain that if you would. Well, seller financing is something is not unheard of uh, in sports team sales or other other types of M&A. Uh, but to, to back up a moment, with, with the tremendous rise in valuations of NFL teams, there's been this longstanding concern that the pool of potential buyers uh, would dwindle because there's only so many people who can afford it. And the NFL has had the most conservative debt restrictions of any of the leagues. Now, they did, in the last couple of years, raise the amount of debt that a buyer could borrow against the franchise to buy from $600 million to $1.1 billion. But that number is static. It doesn't matter how, how valuable, how much the team goes for. So the Denver Broncos go for $4.65 billion. The Walton family can borrow $1.1 if the commanders go for 6.05, it's still 1.1. You have to find the rest of the money somewhere else, and it's hard to get. It's hard to get if you're not unless you're Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett. It's hard to find that kind of money. It, it, Josh Harris is very wealthy, but he doesn't have four or five billion dollars lying around. So he amasses a group of limited partners, but they only put in so much because they're not going to be the control partner. They're not going to put in $800 million, a billion if they're not the control partner. So what Josh Harris is proposing is, in addition to the money he borrows to put against the team, $1.1 billion, he also wants to borrow against his other assets, his other sports teams. And he wants this small bit of financing from Dan Snyder. So those are all issues that the league has to get its, its arms around. And as one source told me, if this was anything other than Dan Snyder, this deal would never get, get past the front door of the NFL. They wouldn't go for it. But because it might get rid of Dan Snyder, they'll, they'll see if they can work with it. So as you were just saying, and as you reported on Wednesday morning, uh, quote, buyers of teams can borrow up to $1.1 billion secured against the franchise, which Harris proposes. He also plans to add more debt secured against his other sports teams, which include the Philadelphia 76ers, New Jersey Devils, and part of Crystal Palace FC of the English Premier League. That raises questions about what would happen if he defaulted on that debt. And quote, is there concern that Josh Harris defaulting on that debt would be a legitimate possibility? Well, I wouldn't say there's a concern he's going to default on his debt. Um, uh, it, it, anyone who's borrowed money from from a, a lender knows that there's you know they there's a worst case scenario to, uh, provided for, and 
no one expects who gets the worst case scenario. I mean, Josh Harris is super, super wealthy. I can't imagine he's going to default on the debt. But in the events he did, who if he borrows against his NBA and NHL teams to buy a, an NFL team, who's deb, you know who has first dibs on that money? Um, that's 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 the question. Uh, and whose whose debt rules are enforced? The ML, ML excuse me, not MLB, NBA's, NHL's, NFL's. So there's 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 questions about it. I'm not saying it won't get done. I'm not saying the NFL won't approve it because they really are stretching the the guidelines here. But uh, there, it just raises some questions. We are discussing the sale of the Commanders with Sports Business Insider Daniel Kaplan of the Athletic. You already sort of hit on this, but looking at the Josh Harris Group. Uh, it having to go through all of these machinations in terms of loans and debt and the group consisting of so many people, you know, Josh Harris and 17 limited partners, as best as we can tell, are all of these things red flags regarding the financial capability of the Josh Harris group? Or are all of these things just more a reflection of NFL teams now being so darn expensive? Well, it's certainly a reflection of NFL teams being so expensive and perhaps the need for the NFL to loosen its debt restrictions even further or even allow private equity in the other three major leagues that allow private equity in. So uh, th- that that's for sure. Whether it's a red flag or not, it's certainly in a typical NFL deal, if, if a buyer came to the NFL and said, I want to borrow above and beyond the, the debt limit on the franchise, that would set up red flags because they would be worried that this is a buyer who, you know, can't afford, is, is cash poor. And you don't want an owner to be cash poor. There's new stadiums, there's new training facilities, there's bonus money. Remember in the NFL, you if you give a player, a, a, say, a $50 million bonus over five years, you have to park that money at the NFL in advance. You can't just pay it out over five years' time. It has to go into the NFL bank. So there, there's a lot of concerns about uh, owners who are debt-ridden, and that's why the NFL has such uh, debt-restricted policies. As you know, the purchase of the commanders is especially costly, not just with the uh, NFL record sale price of $6.05 billion, but also with the team needing a new stadium. And the phrase new stadium is short for new stadium, new team facility, and a bunch of other stuff. Have you heard estimates for what the new stadium and the uh, other stuff will cost? In other words, Josh Harris in buying the Commanders is taking on not just the cost of the $6.05 billion for the team, but also is taking on the cost for the stadium and the other stuff. What do you think that he's looking at regarding the cost of the stadium and the other stuff? That's hard hard to say. I mean, clearly a new stadium in in that area would cost a billion and a half to two billion, if not more. How much of that comes from public funding? How much of that comes from the NFL? How much of that comes from personal seat licenses? You factor all that in, it's still going to be a healthy nut that the ownership group has to put in. Now, the ownership group can borrow for that, too. The NFL will allow that for a stadium in addition to the debt uh, against the team. But it's certainly something the league has got to consider. I mean, if he's borrowing, I mean, just take a number, if he's borrowing one and a half to two billion dollars, uh, and I don't know if that's really the case. I just know that he wants to borrow against his sports assets. Uh, and then he's going to have another half billion dollars of borrowing for the stadium. I mean, you're getting into unprecedented territory for an NFL team owner. 
What you mentioned earlier and what you had in the report from Wednesday morning, quote, elements of the deal would break the mold for an NFL franchise sale, underscoring how much the league appears willing to bend its guidelines to move on from the Daniel Snyder era, end quote. That really is something. Uh, Are you surprised that the NFL is so willing to stray from convention in order to get rid of Dan? I guess I'm, I'm somewhat surprised, uh, and we'll see if the owner if the owners go for it. This is right. So far, this has been driven by the the league, the league officials. We'll we'll see with the finance committee meeting the other owners whether they want to make exceptions here, whether they want to bend bend the rules, bend bend their bend their guidelines. I mean, this whole thing about the the, the, uncon, the conditional deal and that there'd be a staged voting for. I mean, this is this is unheard of. The way this works is. It's always worked in any sports league. Is the the team owner, the the prospective buyer, hash out a deal? They sign an agreement. They submit it to the league for approval. It goes to ownership for a vote. It's it's pretty it's pretty straightforward and standard. I mean, to have a a, a bidder, a buyer, submit an you know a non-exclusive offer to the league and the league to take it seriously to get this far and bending rules, that underscores just how much the league wants Dan Snyder out, because this wouldn't happen in any other case that I can imagine. The potential indemnifying of Dan Snyder. Uh, The Washington Post back on February 27th reported that Dan wants other NFL owners to indemnify him against future legal liability and expenses if he sells the team, angering some NFL owners and NFL commissioner Roger Goodell. Are you hearing anything on the potential indemnifying of Dan? I I know it's out there. I know he's asking for it. Uh, I, I, I gotta imagine the owners would go apoplectic if 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 they were it was forced on them. But we'll see what happens. I mean, again, that there have been so many firsts in this deal <laughs> that you know maybe maybe you know I know he, Snyder is worried about. the Mary Joe White report and what it might say and what litigation could ensue from that. And he, he, wants, him, he wants to be indemnified for that. Forbes Media on April 18th reported that Josh Harris would own 30% of the commanders and would be the managing partner and that there would be 17 limited partners. In terms of that structure, uh, Harris being the managing partner but owning just 30%, the 17 limited partners could never like come together and outvote Harris on anything, right? Harris, even at just 30%, would have ultimate control over everything, no matter what. Is that correct? Well, first, he needs to own a minimum of 30%. So uh, that would be the lowest amount he could own. He, he, might, own, he might own more. And I actually suspect he, he will. But yes, he's he's the control owner. He's the voting owner. The other LP, the LPs, really, you know, they they might have some same financial governance of the team. But in terms of voting, you know, on playing rules that the NFL proposes, on big initiatives, I mean, that that's that's all that all, all ownership. It's not it's not LPs. Final question. Uh, Have you heard anything about where Dan Snyder is when it comes to his willingness to sell? Like, for the longest time, the thinking, of course, was that Dan was selling the team not because he wanted to, but because he, for whatever reasons, had to. And there has been this constant fear that Dan is going to pull a swerve and end up not selling the team. Are we past that point? Is Dan now truly on board with selling the team? That's my take here, is that he's he's on board. I mean, the fact that he's 
when, when I heard about the seller financing aspect, I asked a source close to Harris, uh, why would he do that if he doesn't want to sell it? Because he's uncooperative. And the response back is Dan wants to sell. So I think he's he's on board with, with, with selling. The que- question is whether it can this deal can pass muster with the NFL. I suspect it ultimately will uh, because it's, it's in one long, I mean, the prospect of, Continuing to live with Dan would be a, I mean, it's a nightmare for for so many people involved with this league. So, uh, I suspect they'll they'll work out something with Josh Harris to get this deal through. And that is what I and those listening to this very much want. Uh, Sports Business Insider Daniel Kaplan of the Athletic. Daniel, thanks a lot for your time. All the best. All right, thank you. All right. Nothing is easy, man. (laughs) Nothing is ever easy with our football team. But, you know, what matters is that this sale happens and the when doesn't matter nearly as much as the what. So whether the sale happens this month or in June or in July or in August, the sale just needs to happen. I want the sale to happen as soon as possible. okay? but the bottom line is that what matters more than anything is that the sale actually happens. And as tedious as all of this is, okay? just remember that just six and a half months ago, the notion of Dan Snyder selling the commanders was borderline unthinkable that we are at this point remains amazing given where we were not that long ago. The commanders on Wednesday morning, November 2nd, 2022, put out a statement confirming a report from Forbes earlier that morning that the team's co-owners and co-CEOs, Dan and Tanya Snyder, were exploring a sale of the team, were exploring potential transactions with the team. Uh, That's what got all this going in terms of the actual process of the sale, at least publicly. I mean, who knows exactly when the process of the sale might have started behind the scenes. But November 2nd, you know, this only goes back to then. A truly historic day in Washington, D.C. sports, November 2nd, 2022. Well, if Josh Harris is having concerns with financing his purchase of the commanders, he needs to save all of the money that he can, right? And so if Josh Harris needs or wants new sunglasses, just like if you need or want new sunglasses, he should make sure that he gets himself and you should make sure that you get yourself some Shady Rays sunglasses because Shady Rays for listeners of this podcast is offering a great deal, 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses at ShadyRays.com. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the promo code ALGALDI. You can save yourself some serious money, just like Josh Harris can save himself some serious money that he could use toward buying the commanders. Shady Rays sunglasses, they look good, they feel good. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that is affordable and durable with clear optics for whatever you're doing outside. And Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning that if you lose or break your pair of sunglasses, even on day one, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair of sunglasses No questions asked. You can wear your Shady Rays with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after your purchase. And Shady Rays is offering this great deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Yes, 
50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Uh, if you don't love them, you can exchange them for sunglasses that you do love, or you can return your sunglasses for a full refund within 30 days. You see, there is no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Shady Rays always has your back. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you have been thinking about getting new sunglasses, now is the time and Shady Rays is the way. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. That's ShadyRays.com and use that promo code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Uh, Also, Shady Rays has done some great work, has donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. Shady Rays, look good and feel good. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so the Nationals on Thursday have their first scheduled off day since April 24th. Uh, The Nats did have an off day on April 28th, but that off day was created by a rainout that was made up by a a doubleheader the following day. The Nats' schedule since late April has been brutal in terms of a lack of scheduled off days. And by the way, the Nats' next scheduled off day after this one on Thursday isn't until May 22nd. But the Nats have earned this off day on Thursday because they on Wednesday won for a seventh time in 11 games. Improved at 12 and 10 since the 4 and 11 start and 11-6 win at the San Francisco Giants to win the series two games to one. The boys getting it done. I'm proud of the boys. That's right. Nats manager Davey Martinez and the boys. Uh, They're now 16 and 21 overall. Uh, The Nats offense in this win on Wednesday was great, but to me, the biggest takeaway from the game was starting pitcher Josiah Gray having yet another very good outing. Gray was good for a sixth time in seven starts. He lasted for seven innings. He allowed two runs in seven innings. He gave up just five hits, two doubles, and three singles. He did issue four walks. He did record just three strikeouts, but the run prevention was there. Uh, Gray threw 93 pitches, 57 strikes versus 36 balls. Uh, He was coming off a not-so-good outing. 3-1 loss at the Arizona Diamondbacks this past Friday night. Gray in that game three runs in five innings, but it's not like he was awful. And he, in that game, did record six strikeouts and he did throw a lot of strikes. He just also threw a lot of pitches, Uh, five innings, 92 pitches, but 60 strikes versus just 32 balls. But how about the season 
that Josiah Gray is having. He now in this 2023 regular season, eight starts, an ERA of 296, and he is allowed a mere five home runs, three of which came in his first start of the regular season. Uh, this was Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday evening on Josiah Gray. Yeah, efficiency was the key for him going that deep. You know, um, yeah, he, he kept it down to like the 92 pitches or something like that. So did really well. Uh, proud of him. Um, he went out there and had you know walk a couple guys, get right back in the zone, um, but kept us in the ball game. Um, you know, in those situations, that, you know, I try to tell them, hey, I know we scored a lot of runs. It's easy to ease up. You got to go out there and act like you know you're up one nothing and you're pitching. You know, you got to make your pitches. So and he did that very well. The Nats acquired Josiah Gray and catcher Cape Ruiz from the Los Angeles Dodgers as the headline prospects and a crop of four prospects for starting pitcher Max Scherzer and shortstop Trey Turner in a trade that was finalized on July 31st, 2021. Gray for the Nats in the 2021 regular season made 12 starts, had an ERA of 531. Uh, Gray for the 2022 regular season, an ERA of 502, gave up a major league worst 38 home runs issued a National League worst 66 walks. He was not a good pitcher last season. He has been so much better so far this season. Well, speaking of home runs, uh, the Nats, who like never hit home runs, actually hit two home runs in this 11-6 win at the Giants on Wednesday. Uh, The Nats in this game, 11 runs, 12 hits, which were comprised of two home runs, a triple, two doubles, and seven singles. The Nats worked five walks, The Nats went 5-for-9 with runners in scoring position, and the Nats did all of this despite multiple regulars not playing. Uh, Shortstop C.J. Abrams, off his bad game late night on Tuesday night, did not play on Wednesday. Uh, Catcher Capet Ruiz did not play on Wednesday. Center fielder Victor Robles is on the 10-day injured list due to back spasms. But consider the production that the Nats on Wednesday got from the three players who were in the lineup due to Abrams, Ruiz, and Robles being out. Ildemaro Vargas... He was the Nats starting shortstop and number eight batter. He went three for five with a two-run triple, an RBI double, and a single. Uh, Vargas in an Nats four-run third, a two-out, two-run opposite field triple to the right center field gap on a ball on which Giants center fielder Austin Slater failed to make a diving catch for an 8-0 Nats lead. Uh, Vargas in the top of the seventh, a two-out opposite field single to left field. And Vargas in an Nats one-run ninth, a two-out RBI double toward the right field corner for an 11-4 Nats lead, although he then was tagged out between second base and third base in his attempt to stretch the double into a triple. He wanted two triples in this game. Uh, Riley Adams, he was the Nats starting catcher and number nine batter. He went one for four, but the one was a three-run home run. Uh, Adams in an Nats four-run second, a two-out, three-run homer just inside the left field foul pole for a 4 nothing Nats lead despite having been down to the count at one point, one-two. Uh, the homer went a projected 413 feet for StatCast. You know, this was just Riley Adams' sixth game of this regular season. Riley Adams barely plays with how much Capert Ruiz does play. So a real credit to Riley Adams to do well on Wednesday, both as a batter and as a receiver, as the uh, battery mate for Josiah Gray, who again ended up pitching for seven innings, two runs in seven innings. Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday evening said a lot of nice things about Riley Adams. Take a listen. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, he's done really well. You know, I mean, look, what I, what I really love about Riley is that he handles our pitching staff really well. Even though he's not catching every day, he does his homework, you know, he gets, you know, today caught Josiah Gray and, and caught him really well. And uh, um, once again, you know, he comes up with a, with a big hit. You know, he's a, we talk a lot about, hey, you know, you, you, if you go one for four and drive and run you, and, and, and handle our pitching staff and we win, that's a great day for you. So um, today, a uh, big day for him. Pitchers have gone deep the last few times that Riley has caught. What do you think has improved with his game calling or game planning? Yeah, he does. Like I said, he he, he does his homework. You know, um, he's done really well on, on on mixing pitches up. You know, keeping the guys in the zone. Uh, you know, so you know, not having you know Ruiz in there, I feel comfortable with with Riley catching for us. I really do. Yeah, Riley Adams. Uh, the Nats got him in their 2021 fire sale. The Nats on July 29th. 2021 traded reliever Brad Hand to the Toronto Blue Jays for Adams. Uh, also on Wednesday, Stone Garrett. Uh, he was an ad starting left fielder and number seven batter. You know, I consider him to be the guy playing in the absence of Victor Robles because while Robles is a center fielder, uh, the Nats' usual left fielder, Alex Cole, has been shifted to center field in the absence of Robles. Uh, Stone Garrett on Wednesday, two for four with a two-run single, another single, and a walk. Uh, Garrett in the Nats' four-run third, a two-out, bases-loaded, two-run, opposite field single to right field for a 6-0 Nats lead. The Nats numbers 7, 8, and 9 batters. Stone Garrett, Ildemaro Vargas, and Riley Adams. They on Wednesday would have combined 6 for 13 with a walk, 8 RBI, and 4 runs. Not bad from your bottom three batters of the order. Uh, The Nats' other home run in the game came from Lane Thomas. Uh, Yeah, the Lane Train homered again. The Lane Train is rolling right now. Uh, He is an at starting right fielder and number one batter, two for five with a solo homer and a single. And he added outfield assist, but Thomas in the Nats, one run sixth, a one out solo home run to left field for a 10-1 Nats lead. Uh, The homer was Thomas's fourth home run in 10 games in this month of May. Uh, Also continuing to have a good May is Dominic Smith. Uh, He is an at starting first baseman and number six batter, one for four with an RBI single and a walk. Smith in the Nats, four-run second, a one-out opposite field RBI single to left field for a one-nothing Nats lead, despite having been down in the count at one point, one-two. Dom Smith for this month of May, an on-base percentage of 500. Uh, that's outstanding. Uh, Joey Manessis, he is an at starting DH and number three batter, two for four with an RBI single, another single, and a walk. Every Nats starter got on base at least once. The negative for the Nats in this 11-6 win at the Giants on Wednesday was the Nats' bullpen. Uh, The final score was not indicative of the nature of this game. This really was a blowout win for the Nats. Uh, Two relievers combined to give up four runs in two innings. Uh, Thaddeus Ward, he in the bottom of the eighth, allowed two runs on a leadoff walk of J.D. Davis and a two-run home run by Michael Conforto to right field to cut the Nats' lead to 10-4. And Erasmo Ramirez, he in the bottom of the ninth, allowed two runs on a leadoff opposite field single by Casey Schmidt to right field and a one-out two-run homer by a Maryland product, Lamont Wade Jr., uh, the Terp, a bomb to center field to cut the Nats' lead to 11-6. So no game for the Nats on Thursday. Next up for them, a four-game series against the New York Mets at Nationals Park, the rare four-game series that goes from a Friday through a Monday. Uh, Game one, Friday night at 7.05, Game 2, Saturday afternoon at 4.05, Game 3, Sunday afternoon at 1.35, and Game 4, Monday afternoon at 4.05.
So the Orioles are in the midst of a stretch of 22 consecutive games against teams that have winning records. Uh, the O's this past weekend did lose two or three games at the National League leading Atlanta Braves, but the O's this week have won two of three games against the major league leading Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Uh, Monday evening, a 3 nothing loss, but Tuesday evening, a 4-2 win, and Wednesday evening, a 2-1 win. As the O's, Joe Angel, we're back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. That is correct, Joe. The win column. Uh, the O's now are 20 and 8 since their 4 and 5 starred. The O's now are 24 and 13, second best record in the American League. Uh, the Orioles starting pitching this season overall has not been good, but the Orioles starting pitching in this series win over the Rays was good. Uh, Kyle Gibson in game one, he was good. Two runs in six innings. Grayson Rodriguez in game two, he was good. Two runs in five and two thirds innings. And Dean Kramer in game three, he was good for a second consecutive start. Kramer on Wednesday evening, six scoreless innings. Uh, gave up just four hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks. He recorded four strikeouts. He threw a lot of strikes, uh, 95 pitches, 60 strikes versus 35 balls. And he did this off what he did in his previous start, 9-4 win at the Braves this past Friday night. Kramer in that game, one run in six innings. He in this 2023 regular season overall has not been good. Eight starts, ERA of 497, a whip of 146, but maybe, hopefully, Dean Kramer is getting going here. Uh, Kramer, in the 2022 regular season, was very good. Uh, 22 games with 21 starts. He totaled 125 at a third innings. He registered an ERA of 323. This was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on what Dean Kramer has done over his last two starts. Two of the better offensive teams and... Uh right at the right time and <laughs> uh, you know pitched we talked about he probably well he pitched in Atlanta and then tonight for me um, even better just he's figuring out a little bit learn how to pitch and got some double play balls when he needed it use the sinker effectively he can step on a four seamer from 96 to 97 does that well um, he's got other pitches as well so uh, that's a tough lineup to navigate through and he did an outstanding job Yes, he did. Now, the Orioles' closer, Felix Batista, was not available for Wednesday evening, and so Yanir Cano was used to close out the game, and he got the job done. Another good outing for the Cano show. Uh, Yanir Cano on Wednesday evening, a perfect top of the ninth inning. This a game after he tossed one and two-thirds scoreless innings with two strikeouts. Boy, Yanir Cano has been so good for the O's. They, on April 14th, recalled him from AAA Norfolk. He since then has tossed 18 and two-thirds scoreless innings. His whip during that stretch, a microscopic 0.16. Just outstanding. Uh, Austin Voth on Wednesday evening, one run in one and a third innings, but Danny Coulomb faced two batters and generated two big strikeouts. He came into the game in the top of the eighth with a man on first, one out, and the O's nursing a 2-1 lead, and he generated back-to-back -back swinging strikeouts of two dangerous hitters, a pinch-hitting Randy Arozarena 
and the Rays' number four batter, Harold Ramirez. Uh, the O's won on Wednesday evening, despite totaling just the two runs, uh, also totaled just six hits, which did consist of three doubles uh, and three singles. And the O's did work six walks, uh, but the only Oriole with multiple hits was Austin Hayes. Uh, he is the Orioles' starting left fielder and number six batter, two for four with an RBI single and a double. Uh, the RBI single came in a two-run bottom of the sixth. Also, we did have the highest attendance of the three games of this series between the O's and the Rays. Now, the official attendance at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Wednesday evening still was only 14,395, but that was significantly better than what we got, especially in game two, the mere 10,017. So the O's win the series. Uh, they now are 3-3 three and three in this stretch of 22 consecutive games against teams with winning records. And the 3-3 three and three has come against the top team in each league, the Braves and the Rays. Uh, more from Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night. We played extremely well. You know, um, the Atlanta series was a little bit of a bummer, honestly. Uh, we went in that first one to have opportunities and win the next two and didn't. Um, but, and then we come in here to play against these guys who are very difficult to play against because their pitching is so good and they're so their lineup is the best in baseball right now. And um, they just do a lot of things really, really well. And I thought, you know, we've pitched extremely well for the last six games and really happy with how we've thrown the ball. Six games and six days against two of the best teams in baseball. Did you learn something about your team, or did they prove something to you? Well, I think our pitching really stepped up. Uh, you know, we had some difficulties in Kansas City, and we kind of limped into Atlanta a little bit because um, we played some high-scoring games there and didn't pitch very well in Kansas City. And for this team to to have success, we need to pitch. And uh, you know, these last six games, we've. Like I said, we've thrown the ball outstanding. Yeah, nice job by the O's. Uh, No game for them on Thursday, what is their first off day since May 1st. And next up for the O's, another first place team, Uh, a three-game series against the National League Central leading Pittsburgh Pirates at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Game one, Friday night at 7.05, Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday night at 7.05, Tyler Wells will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon at 1.35, Kyle Gibson will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 571. We'll provide you with more on the commander's in-depth reaction to and analysis of their 2023 regular season schedule. What do we like? What don't we like? Where and how did the NFL do the commanders dirty? What can we most complain about? Uh, that and more on Friday's show of the official reveal of the 2023 NFL regular season schedule on Thursday night. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. There it is.